Welcome back to the Esports Forever podcast. My name is Ryan Hebert alongside Jacob Schrader, and today we are here with a very special guest from the Zen Sports community, Deuce Crypto. Deuce, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming by. We really appreciate it. Before we get started and dive deeper into today's podcast, I want to have Jacob talk about our sponsor, EMP.money. Jacob? Of course. Deuce, it's great to have you on the podcast. Great to have you as a member of our community. Uh, you know, I remember you played in our one of our recent Splinterlands tournaments and kind of saw the light there, and it's been a pleasure having you. Um, but for our sponsor, for our podcast, for our tournaments, for everything Zen Sports, eSports, is EMP Money. EMP Money is an awesome uh, gamified crypto staking protocol. Basically, the goal for EMP, which is their token, is to track the price of Ethereum at a 4,000 to 1 ratio, right? That provides a token with more liquidity, lower fees, uh, and, and a bunch of additional kind of benefits that just tracks the price of Ethereum. Um, they have what's called a detonator contract. Uh, they have farms. They have a boardroom that prints. Uh, it's kind of a fork of tomb if you guys are familiar with crypto staking protocols, but it's great to be working with them. And if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you should check it out. Thank you so much, Jacob. And a big shout out once again to EMP.money. Super cool site. Super great stuff happening over there. Go check it out. And uh, yeah, well, let's dive right in here, Deuce. Uh, first of all, I want I want you to give us a little bit of your background because here on the Esports Forever podcast, you know, we're, we're big gamers. We're big into crypto, big into the NFT space as well. Uh, but, you know, we, we love gaming. And so give us a little bit of your gaming background, you growing up. I mean... How did you, did you always start uh, living in the big city? Uh, you currently are located in New York right now. So did you always, you know, start there? Or did you grow up somewhere in like a small town? In this, uh, I imagine like a small little farmhouse out, out in the fields in the Midwest. You know, I could not, see- No, not so small. I actually just grew up in the suburbs of New York City, the town of Rochelle. <laughs> it's actually one of the, the 10 largest cities in the state of New York. So mm-hmm. uh, 30 minute train ride into the city. So uh, I was close my whole life, but I did spend 10 years outside of the city. Uh, I got my undergrad in Austin, Texas at the University of Texas, and I liked it so much down there. Uh, I went back there again in uh, 2009. I was there for four years. Then I moved up to Colorado in 2013 to take part in their green rush. And then uh, I met a partner and we uh, moved down to Phoenix, Arizona for four years. And then uh, I finally came back to New York. My family gave me a a deal that was too good to refuse. So uh, I came back. Uh, Labor Day weekend 2018. I've been uh, happy at home here in New York ever since. Wow. Quite a bit of traveling there for you, Deuce. I imagine uh, it's a little tiring to do all that traveling over and over and over again, but it sounds like you really had an exciting time, especially in the like academia world uh, and just, you know, post high school. Oh, for sure. It was great. You know, I've had uh, some really fantastic careers over the years. I spent uh, my first five years out of college as a highlight editor and mm. uh, associate producer with the NBA TV, where I worked on their uh, their uh, evening productions while, while the games were going on live. So that was really uh, my entry into sports and sports journalism. I transitioned into uh, uh, becoming a math educator. I taught in the classroom for 10 years, both middle school and high school. Thank you. And so I got to do that, uh, you know, in Texas, in uh, Denver, and, and again in Phoenix. And, uh, you know, since I've moved back home to New York, I've certainly uh, been paying much more attention to the crypto markets. And uh, recently, I uh, landed myself a job in the crypto space. So it's a really exciting development. Congratulations awesome. on that new job. And uh, I just got to say, teaching middle school, they say it's one of the worst places to have to go and teach just due to the, the age range. Do you relate to that or do you say, well, no, I love it? Oh, I loved it because I relate to the students so well. You know, for me, I felt like the middle school students allowed me to to um, kind of mold their thinking a little bit more than someone who's in high school, who's a little bit more grounded in, mm-hmm. in, their, in what they think. And then in elementary school, where at least the math content that I taught wasn't really rich enough to really get into the, the fun aspects of problem solving. So I, I really love teaching in middle school is great. You know, I would say, you know, the students 
still have to rely on their parents, right? They don't mm. have, you know, some seniors they can get a ride to school with. So they lack that independence, you know, a good phone call home and you can still get uh, some problems taken care of. Yeah, I think, I think that's great. I think I completely agree with, you know, being a middle school teacher, you're, you have a, a greater influence. Uh, I would say that teachers that I learned the most from and influenced me the most were, you know, kind of the, the youngest teachers I had whether it be first grade all the way up to, I still remember an eighth grade science teacher, like incredibly fondly. Um, but, you know, I think as you get older, it's, it's, it's less life teaching and it's more kind of simply academia. Um, but I think the balance of both is really important to instill. Well, sure. when I was in first grade, I had this teacher, Mrs. Warren White, who retired that year. Now, me being in first grade, I did not understand what the word retirement meant. So the next year... I spread a rumor around the entire school that she had died because I had no idea what retirement meant. And so I tell this one girl at lunch one day, I go, hey, remember our teacher from last year? She's dead. And while that spread around the entire elementary school, then like from lunch to the end of the day. So it's like four hours, right? At the end of the day, there's an announcement over the loudspeaker from the principal. And then they're like, Ryan Hebert, please come to the office. I'm like, she retired. What do you want me to say? I don't know. You know, <laughs> anyways, uh, just my my younger days, my younger days. Uh, but OK, so y- you talk about getting into the crypto space, coming back into New York. Were you at all introduced to it beforehand, doing some of your traveling in the south, maybe out west? Because, I mean, oh, you, yeah. you experienced the green rush in Colorado. I have to assume, you know, I, I know there are a lot of folks out, uh, you know, out in the country who are super big into crypto because they can just build a giant warehouse and Bitcoin mine to to nobody's nobody's like displeasure, I guess, if if you know what I mean. Like nobody cares if yeah. you have a warehouse in the middle of nowhere, right? Well, <laughs> I, I we definitely had a warehouse and yep. uh, certainly moving up to Colorado was one of the reasons uh, that uh, got me to open up. A, uh, a digital wallet for the first time. Mm. And so, so yeah, yeah, I, I started stacking my sats back in the end of 2013. And actually, you know, uh, in relation to Mount Gox, you know, one of the very first Bitcoin exchanges had their ties to Magic the Gathering Flames. You know, that's how they got the name Mount Gox after all. And so, you know, both uh, with my, uh, you know, activity in the Magic the Gathering scene uh, buying, selling, trading cards in, mm-hmm. in that time. Um, you know, Bitcoin was just another currency that we transacted in. And so, uh, like I said, I, I stacked those sats from 2013 to 2015 and uh, kind of sat on that pile of Bitcoin until uh, the the peak of uh, the 2017 kind of kind of rush there, sold out. Uh, towards the end of November 2017, a friend and I started Wow. Uh, a CBD extraction company wow, uh, up in Colorado. Cool. And so uh, we then uh, bought into an organic hemp farm. And so we now have a, a vertically aligned uh, CBD and, and hemp uh, production facility. Is that still going on even with the new stuff you have doing now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've taken a passive role in the company for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, I was basically just an early investor or, or co-owner. I got you. So and that's all in Colorado, Colorado, I take it? Well, the, uh, yeah, everything the, from the, the genetics, the growing, the harvesting, the extracting, it's all happening in Colorado. But now because we're focused on CBD, uh, we can ship to pretty much any state in the country. And we actually have sent our seeds to over 40 different countries internationally because uh, people really dig our genetics. We got a, a really bright guy who kind of heads that up and has some really great high yield CBD flower. Wow. Wow. I, I, this is not what I expected to, to be starting out talking about here, but I'm loving it. This is, this is incredible. Well, yeah, I was, I was intrigued when you said the green rush uh, yeah, for sure. in oh, Colorado. Yeah. You know, I couldn't really imagine what else that would be. Well, yeah, you know, I had one of those old school red cards. It was huge. It was a big billfold. It wasn't even like, you know, it was the size of uh, like a diploma. It wasn't, you know, it couldn't fit in your wallet. It was, it was awkward, but, you know, that's, that's how we got our, our medical greens back then. So I can't complain. I'm glad that uh, Colorado was ahead of the times there. Again, one of the first states to uh, legalize recreational use. And then it really allowed us to focus on hemp. 
something that uh, we could supply to anyone in the United States. Yeah. Wow. So, so one thing that, that is kind of interesting is that both of those industries, right, CBD, hemp, and then crypto, right, they're, they're industries that are basically trying to survive through either heavy regulation or what alludes to be heavy regulation. You know, is there anything you've learned from being so entrenched in that kind of industry and how it's kind of grown? Because it did probably grow a little bit earlier than the crypto industry. Is there anything you've learned and seen that may, you know, you may be seeing in the crypto industry or sure. you may expect to see? Yeah, the banks are not your friends. You know, you got to you got to figure out ways to make your capital work for you without relying on the banks because ultimately uh you know they have their own regulations that they need to adhere to and so you know with with uh you know the hemp and cannabis industry as a whole the banking has been really hamstrung and what they can do to store funds and uh you know help people earn yield so turning to crypto was was something that we looked at really early on to be able to start earning yield on our uh, available balance, you know, the cash on hand. And is that through stable coins or is that through, you know, a mix of stable coin and just investments, right? You're saying you're trying to grow your capital from the uh, you know, business in Colorado. What is that? Is that is that you using stable coins to basically have money that's liquid or is it? you know, investment purposes? Well, back then it was just holding an asset that we thought was a good bet to appreciate over time to, you know, outpace the dollar. Um, uh, now, obviously, there's so many more instruments available in DeFi at, at people's disposal so that you really can, you know, go through decentralized finance and make a really nice tidy yield without having to you know, take the scraps that the banks are giving you. But mm. yeah, there, there was, there wasn't nearly the uh, selection and development of, uh, you know, yield bearing products back then. So we were just looking at uh, the upside of the coins. That's uh that's awesome. Wow. Well, my goodness, Deuce, uh, lots of stuff happened before you got to New York and before uh, you, you started yeah. diving into Splinterlands, but uh, let's, let's start taking a deeper dive. We've already plunged. We've already started, diving into some of the depths of your history and past here. I love this. So uh, one of your first jobs working for the NBA, I so you're a big sports fan. Any chance that relates over to sports betting? Because it just so happens that Jacob and I work for a company called Zen Sports that, uh, you know, it's a sports betting app. That's part of, part of what we do. Yeah, you know, and that that's one of the things that, you know, drew me into the whole Zen Sports and Zen Sportsia community is is, you know, having that availability to, you know, to 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 wager on, on games whether it be regular sports, esports. And um and yeah, you know, I have some uh, pretty great memories, some a few bets that really stand out in my mind. You know, uh the 2006 NCAA championship game. You mm -hmm. have a really experienced, deep Florida team head coached by Billy Donovan, you know, just flush with seniors, you know, they went eight deep against a UCLA team that was thin as that was so thin. You know, they had two guards, Farmer was playing on a busted ankle. They had a, a single big who, who was just so run down from the tournament. And I could not believe that the line in this game was a half point. Florida was giving a half point in this game. And so uh, I absolutely crushed that one. Um, there, was, there was five digits uh, uh, on that wager, probably the biggest wager I've ever made in my life. Wow. And uh, I got to say, it was, it was a great day because it was a three-possession game from the first you know, under 16 minute timeout in the first half. And it was never close. It was never close. And that was, I guess, Udonis Haslam, you know, the longtime Miami Heat. That, that was his senior year. And uh, yeah, Florida just ran away with that game. I, I couldn't believe it was such a ridiculous line. I guess all the people in LA really thought that their Bruins could hang, but it, it was not close. And uh, probably the bet that I enjoy most, you know, looking back on it, was uh, getting the Florida Marlins, uh, I think, 50 to 1 
to win the World Series when the playoffs started. Mm. And uh, the notable thing about the 2003 MLB playoffs, that was the year that Aaron Boone hit that unbelievable walk-off home run in, what was it, the bottom of the 14th inning at Yankee Stadium against the Red Sox. You really kind of ignited or reignited that rivalry that the Yankees and Red Sox had had. So, mm. so for me, it was wild. You know, my friend was able to sneak me into the stadium uh, for that, for that, for that game. And wow. so we were, we were alive at Yankee stadium for that, for that home run. And truth be told, I'm a national league guy. I'm a Mets fan. And I just ran my mouth. Like, I, I don't really care who wins. I got the Marlins going all the way. And, you know, I was just glad that whatever team came out, they'd be beat up from a long seven game series. And, uh, you know, Pudge helped uh, lead the young Marlins pitching staff to a win that year. That's huge. Those are some big bats, Deuce. I, Those are some fun ones for sure. Whew. Yeah, I mean, I I myself am not the biggest sports better, but from hearing folks like yourself and some of the other people that I work with at Zen Sports, I mean, there are people, they people remember like their specific bets that they've made, their favorites, their least favorites, right? All this fun stuff. So that's so that's so cool to hear. I, I mean, my memory on this sort of stuff sometimes is uh, a little fuzzy. So for you to just be like, oh yeah, two thousand three Florida Florida Marlins, yeah, best bet of you know one of my most fun bets, and then obviously the uh, the uh, Florida versus uh, UC UCL UCLA UCLA, yeah, wow, okay, okay. So sports fan, love it, love for it, sure. But these days I tone it down a little bit, you know, most of the time I'm taking some fun prop bets at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. Most of my focus now is on, is on soccer. Spend a lot of time watching EPL and, uh, you know, when the world cup comes around, I usually, uh, make some wagers based on, you know, who's going to win their groups, who the, uh, you know, high score, the golden boot winner of the tournament may be. So those are some fun bets that I take. And, uh, you know, I'm an active fantasy sports player. So I have, uh, a team I play in baseball, football, basketball, and again, in uh, EPL soccer. And uh, I've been playing with those teams now for, you know, some of them 15, 20 years with friends I've had from undergrad. Wow. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so fantasy sports to me are, you know, I, I love, love, love fantasy sports. Uh, I'm a huge into fantasy football, um, but it sounds like you play quite a few of them. Are any of the other fantasy sports on like as kind of fun as fantasy football, because to me, they just, it's hard for them to do it right. Right. Fantasy football is so good because it's once a week, you know, right. it's a, it's, it's a lineup. It's a, it really makes tangible sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm for interested sure. to see if, if some of the other leagues have found a way to make their fantasy leagues as engaging. Well, uh, so for, for baseball, I do play in a, in a head to head points league. So it has some of the same feel as football, but you're right. You don't have that, you know, single game day atmosphere. But, you know, that's why I personally love my fantasy soccer league. You know, the fantasy soccer league, I play with some expats from Britain, a hodgepodge of of different people. But uh, it's great because it has that same setup. You know, you have one game per week. You know, again, you're playing head to head. It's points based. The only knock I would say with soccer compared to football is there's a lot less traceable stats. You know, you basically have goals, assists, Yeah, yeah. You know, try not to get those yellow and red cards. And then, mm. you know, for the goalies, defenders and some midfielders, you know, uh, you get points if their team keeps a, a clean sheet, a shutout, you know. So yeah. so so I would say it's, it's a little bit more difficult because you don't have as many stats as you would with football. But uh, the thing I love that's really special about our soccer league is uh, there are 10 teams in each league. We actually have four different leagues in, in our kind of fantasy wow. group, which means we actually have promotion and relegation awesome. every season. So you That's don't have awesome. people, you know, like they lose four of their first six games and they just like mail it in for the rest of the year because you're going down, you know. So, you know, we have a 10 team league. The bottom two teams fall out. The next two teams come up. And so that keeps some of the competition high. The other thing that's really exciting is, you know, there's no playoffs, you know, similar to the English soccer game. There's no playoffs in this fantasy league. So we have a regular season where everybody plays the other team twice. So you have uh, an 18 game regular season, but you also have a single elimination tournament with all 40 of the teams that are in the league. And there's a, a third competition to kind of mimic 
the the Champions League, where mm. it's a, a two-legged elimination tie just with the ten teams in your in your standalone division, and so uh, it, it's really been a ton of fun. Uh, my very first year, I was in I was in the very first time they had a second division. I won it and immediately went up to the uh, Premier League of this fantasy league, and I've been there ever since. I actually just won the 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 European the Champions League of our Premier League, which is uh, the best purse that we have. Uh, we take a dollar for every ad drop, you know, transfer move that that's been done all year, and that kind of pays off the trophy. So, so for me, very excited. It mm. started off really poorly. I actually had to do the fantasy draft. At a at a music festival oh because my it was gosh. Labor Day weekend, and I was just like, <laughs> I'm gonna try doing both, and uh, you know, it, it cost me a little bit, I had some connection issues, but uh, you know, we got the team turned around, and and while I, I wasn't so competitive in the regular regular season league, I, I was able to win our Champions League, so uh, a nice ending, you know. Uh, my my Chelsea FC mm. Mason Mount was the cornerstone of my franchise and, and really did the job in my midfield. Yeah. Have you ever played uh, fantasy leagues where it's dynasty and you keep the players year after year? Yes. Yeah, so, so for both my soccer league and my football league, um, uh, we can keep players for the soccer league. You can keep up to two players. You don't have to keep players, but you can keep up to two players. Uh, and, and in the football league, uh, you can keep, two players for up to three years and then you have to release them as a free agent you also get to keep one player as a, a transitional player who, who you can keep either as a rookie or as a second year player and if you keep a rookie on as your regular keeper you can keep them for four years instead of three wow that's that's cool i like that I, so i played in one in college that was crazy crazy competitive and it was it was it was a crazy amount of starters played it was two qb four running back, four receiver, and it was like a 10-team league. Uh, wow. You know, tight ends were in the mix. I don't think defenses were, but it was crazy. Like, you know, third or fourth string receivers were valuable, right? It was it was a lot of fun, and it was, you know, kind of fully dynasty where you kept every player at the end of the season. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it was, like, really intense, and trades were, like, a really big deal. Uh, I actually got lucky, and somehow, you know, this was like Tyreek Hill's rookie year. I picked up Tyreek Hill. Um, nice. so whoever has my team now, I had to stop, you know, I was busy in college, but I, I love the dynasty aspect. And I think, you know, something with NFTs could be really fun there as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I think dynasty really gives a, a really nice, nice spice to the league. You know, it, you know, obviously prompts you to invest in those young players, you know, being from New Rochelle, I had to have Ray Rice on my team. And so, mm. yep. you know, he took me to the, to the Super Bowl three out of the four years he was on my squad. When I would watch Ray Rice play in the NFL, I don't know. I don't know about you, but to me, when I saw him run on the field, it looked like he was floating. Like that's what I remember about Ray Rice running down the field. Crazy, crazy player. So I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Well, speaking of being at larger events, I know you've got a background in Magic: The Gathering, so. You played at the higher level, or you said you played at the higher level. So for you, what does that mean? Does that mean Grand Prix, championship events, traveling around the country, participating or trying to participate in their pro circuit for that they had going for a long time? Uh, what what was that like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I never qualified for their pro tour, but I, I did for about four years, traveled heavily to pretty much all of the Grand Prix that uh, – were either uh, you know reasonably priced flight tickets yeah. or, or driving distance from where I lived in in Texas or Colorado, and so you know both playing and also uh, being an active collector, you know knowing what cards are going to be hot, knowing the strategies that were involved, and then you know just you know being able to trade the market is something that has always interested me. So and I think that combination of the two, the strategy and the collectability and, and finance side of things coming together really made the game an, an interesting uh, you know, investment of both my, my time and effort. You know, I've worked in a card shop uh, for, well, I, I worked in a card shop in Chicago for a few years. It's, uh, it was called Good Games Chicago. It was an mm -hmm. Australian chain of stores. 
uh, that base themselves here in the United States, starting in Indianapolis and then quickly moving over to Chicago. And, uh, you know, while I was there, I would help run weekly magic events all throughout the week for different formats. And, you know, these 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 guys and gals that would come to these events, mostly uh, men, but sometimes it was, you know, women too. Uh, you know, it'd be five, five or six o'clock after work, long day. They come in, they crack their packs, right? They come on in, they want to open some packs, see if they can hit that, that new biggest card, uh, that, you know, is in the most recent set or, you know, they go over to the singles computer or, you know, some of the boxes, right. And they ruffle through them and, and try to see if they could find some type of good deal or whatever, whatever they needed. Right. Uh, the magic scene, you know, uh, is, and has been, uh, just so interesting to follow along and you know it, it was sad to me to to hear that i think it was uh before covid uh magic the gathering wizards of the coast they 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 announced that they weren't going to be supporting the pro tour anymore yeah. if i remember correctly right and you know these are people whose livelihoods right were were basically around the fact that they were getting paid professionally to go to events be the best of the best um, it was, it's just not something that I, I had heard from any other card game that's out there. Pokemon, I know Digimon's been pretty big nowadays right now too, um, making itself into the trading card scene, but Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, you know, these, these are other two other trading card games, Pokemon more specifically, uh, I can relate, you know, while Pokemon doesn't have Grand Prix, they've got regionals, internationals, and then the world championship. I travel around to these especially before COVID, i was going all over as basically whatever i could afford i would go to locals that right. sort of stuff sure. and um but none of them had a pro tour where the you know the big company was supporting what top 32 or top 16 players in the circuit to uh on like a professional level and right. i uh, think part of it i think part of it just has to do with the age group that was generally playing the game or the target audience where i think you know the target audience for the Yu-Gi-Oh! pokemon was probably skewing under 18 whereas the target audience for for a game like magic the gathering was you know kind of that you know college you know first first job uh type of player who had you know more ability to travel on their own and it was it was a great marketing tool for the game you know it really helped grow the game from from where from where it started you know in the mid 90s and um and i think what's really helped propel the game is is you know the internet was a huge boon you know being able to share information mm -hmm. uh you know all of a sudden you know being able to post and share deck lists to be able to you know test games online to finally having a uh an online platform to be able to actually play matches and to be honest, you know, I, I wish I had more opportunity to play tabletop paper magic these days. But, uh, you know, between COVID and now being in New York, the high cost of a retail storefront, I just don't have those opportunities. So, you know, if I, I want to play magic these days, most of the time I'm turning to the, uh, the Magic the Gathering online platform that they yeah. have. MTG I, Arena. I no, um, so there's, they have two online platforms. Okay. MTG Arena is a little bit more like, the hearthstone model where yeah, you just kind of yeah. you know playing and they kind of give you access to everything and, and but they, they there's original model magic the gathering online where you know there are individual card assets you know you own the cards you open the packs just like you would in paper um they i think they still do allow you to redeem full sets of the digital cards for a full set of paper cards which was a, a huge uh, drawing point to uh, that 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 original platform that they had and to be honest there's merits for both um it, it seems though going forward magic the gathering you know the the parent company hasbro is really looking to move everybody towards arena because that that model suits them better than than the the online model where there's a secondary market that they don't really get a piece of yeah yeah, any any way they can make a you know more money, that's that's what they want to do, right? You know, it's... but it it helps it helps grow players. You know, I, I I won't I won't knock arena. You know, arena's not for me. It's not the type of gameplay that I enjoy. I enjoy playing with the older cards that are still accessible on Magic the Gathering online. But you know, every new player who who gets into arena first and then realizes, oh, I could play this in paper and shuffle the cards and really collect them if I want to, you know that in turn will eventually roll into demand for these older cards that I have sitting in my closet. So, you know, that, that's a great thing growing uh tabletop players. Yeah. 
Yeah, big time. And I, I, you know, part of that I think is uh, great online. I also, I majorly respect the local scenes that are able to do it, even even now post COVID. And you know, it, you're right. Retail stores are not easy to put up. They're not easy to pay the rent for, especially in the city. I know, you know, Good Game Chicago uh, in Chicago, they had a wonderful storefront right next to my college. They opened up literally the end of my freshman year because uh, the other storefront that I had been going to, which was like a train stop away, closed down because they just couldn't afford it. Um, right. You know, this one opened up in a wealthier neighborhood than the previous one. But because of the backing of being a major retailer overseas, uh, they could, you know, afford until they started really making some good cash flow uh, to be in that space. But that's not most places. Most places, uh, you right. know, it's it's a mom and pop startup of some kind. And uh, they've they've got the money to stay open. But for how long? And then at that point, you either see the business go out of you know, to go out because they can't afford it or prices start to rise inside the store to the point where people are like, this is kind of ridiculous. Uh, there used to be a, a trading card shop in Chicago called Near Mint. Uh, it was called Near Mint. And uh, they were just known for these outrageously priced deals for any game, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. It's like you couldn't find any Pokemon product in the city, but if you go to Near Mint, you could find every Pokemon product because it was so outrageously priced that no one would go and buy it there because they would they would just upcharge 30 40 50% on top of what was allowed to be sold but you know contacting customer support for the Pokemon company and being like yo you got a store selling 50% above MSRP um do you know do you know about that you know it's it's something for a store to add like what 50 cents to a dollar on a pack like I had a local store in Massachusetts, for example, that was like selling cards for four twenty uh, packs for four twenty, maybe four thirty five. Typically, they're sold for three ninety nine, maybe three for ten. Back before you know this whole boom during COVID, but like paying paying twenty, thirty, forty, fifty extra dollars on top of what some box that's supposed to be thirty, forty dollars as as it is. I mean, it's just you know. That's my whole rant about trading card shops and that's that sort of stuff. You know, I I worked in it, I lived it, I loved it, but it's it's frustrating, not for me, but for the players, you know, well, for and sure. and for kids. I think that's the biggest thing too. It's like, you know, all this tr- TCG craze during COVID for Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh and Magic, um especially Pokemon, you know, you couldn't find packs anywhere, and it's all these, you know, hungry adults wanting to just buy packs to then resell onto the market for people who just didn't know how much they were actually worth. And at the end of the day, it really goes back to okay, what age group is this game trying to skew towards? Well, part of it, part of it is towards an older age group because there are a lot of fans from the '90s and the early 2000s. But I mean, you know, there were kids who simply could not get stuff because their parents would go out to their local Walmart or Target, which, by the way, it's now very hard to find TCG product at Walmart or Target because of how crazy people got that uh, Pokemon was like, yeah, we're not really going to send products to you guys anymore because you've proven that like people are dying at your stores uh, to like try to get them. Like People have gotten shot in parking yeah. lots and of Targets and Walmarts Jeez. over Pokemon cards. Right. Yeah, it was a huge issue where, you know, the distributors didn't know when the release dates were. And you would see, you know, oh, yeah. sets that were supposed to pre-release on a Friday. People would, you know, be tweeting like, hey, this Walmart, you know, down south Austin put, started putting the cards on the shelves on a Wednesday. Uh. <laughs> and like people are just losing their minds. You oh, know, yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're running the sale and you bring in the receipt and they're price matching and everybody's getting it. it it was a mess, but I'll tell you, me personally, I would never buy from a big box store. You know, I'm really thankful to some of the sponsorships I received over the years. You know, Pat's Games in Austin was a great store. Uh, Game Heroes uh, out in Aurora, suburb of Denver, Colorado, another store that I had some great times with. And then, you know, Arizona, there's there's uh, the Phoenix Market just has some really outstanding places. Uh, you know, too many to name. I don't want to play any favorites over there, but there are really some some great shops in those cities. And again, they, they benefited from, I think, you know, it was a little bit cheaper to run those stores and, you know, having uh, really great uh, local community stores like that Ooh. really helps propel the scene forward. And I think, you know, when you see those healthy stores prosper, you know, the, the scene just does so much, so much better. I, I couldn't so, agree more. So how do those, you know, how do those mom and pop stores 
what's the way to keep them in business, right? Because it's just hard. It's like really hard for them to compete. Is it having them be like Amazon verified resellers where part of their yeah. business is in person and part mm-hmm. of it is sending it out via Amazon? Absolutely. Is it, you know, I mean, the, that's part of it at Amazon. Yeah. And then there's like a, a TCG specific company yeah. called TCG player, which, mm-hmm. you know, they, they use for secondary sales. So they need to be active there. But yeah, I mean, look, they're making most of their money uh, on, on, on the singles market. You know, they're basically buying cards at 50%, selling them at 90%. And, uh, you know, for that, for the crew who come in and play those, you know, seven o'clock tournaments on the weekday nights. Oh yeah. You know, they're, they're selling all the snacks, you know, they're selling chips for a dollar, sodas for a dollar, you know, those are, you know, those are 80%, you know, 150% markups on those items. So, you know, they're, they're making their profit there. One of my favorite card shops down in Arizona, they had like a little arcade in the shop, mm-hmm. you know, so I dropped my quarters in Marvel vs. Capcom too and throw it back with some of my buddies in between rounds. So yeah, they, they definitely need to get creative. They're, they're not making a, a huge number on the sealed product, but uh, again, you, you know, they get the sealed product at a nice discount rate. So, so they'll open it up. They'll, they'll, they'll have the, the secondary uh, singles. They'll be able to sell that on the market, you know, both online and in store. And then again, you know, if you're a player, you know, I'll, I'll pay the extra $10 to my, to my local, local card shop to make sure that they get the money instead of Amazon or target or, or, uh, or Walmart and things like that. You know, it's a shame. I think, you know, right now Hasbro is kind of in the process of cutting some of these stores out. You know, they signed like a huge distributing deal with Amazon, buy direct through Amazon, buy direct through, you know, Wizards of the Coast, which is the company that produces magic. So certainly the smaller stores are feeling the squeeze. Some of these stores will also institute a uh, button seat policy depending on how big it is. Uh, I know this is something for smaller stores. You know, some places would require uh, individuals to either pay maybe five to ten dollars or maybe even more, depending on how long you sat in the store in a seat. Every place is different. Obviously, me being a customer, I always preferred the uh, please do not charge me for being in your store. I'm trying to be here to spend money on product, not to spend money on sitting down in a chair and opening said product. But every place is different. Every place needs to make their money. And if your store is full of people who are sitting there all day, because there are those people who loiter. Those people, will they have nothing to do with their lives because for some reason they have money somehow right and so what do they do i i had an individual that would sit in my store from 12 p.m to when we closed because they had nothing to do that day and so they would literally sit at the table and sleep they'd sleep at the table head down onto the table they'd they take an afternoon nap right in the middle of my playing room you know luckily we had 20 25 different tables so <clears throat> they weren't really taking up too much space but it was like some places need to charge because otherwise people take advantage of them and it's it's bad. It's just not it's not good. This is yeah, not good. I'm with you. <clears throat> okay. Well, Magic the Gathering, TCG, Mom and Pop stores, I love it all. But there is a transition here. There's a big transition, and that's one of the biggest things that Jacob and I focus on. It happens to be the game Splinterlands. So Splinterlands has kind of come on to the TCG online scene, and I view it as some sort of cross between, you know, looking at Hearthstone, but then looking at traditional TCGs, and I kind of, like, mesh them together almost, and then also add on the blockchain and blockchain gaming and NFTs on top of that, and then all of a sudden, you've got this collectible card game where lots of people are investing uh, value into it because, well, you know... Uh, there could be 500 copies of this one card, and then I own that card, right? Nobody else owns that card. But, you know, if I try to go uh, uh, buy it, what, uh, Max Opal from uh, from Magic the Gathering, right? Something like that. Uh, or let's say I try to uh, buy a Black Lotus. I currently do not know how many Black Lotuses there are uh, that, ex- that like, are in existence, uh, from when it was first printed. But I could tell you how many um, specific cards of like the super rare card on Splinterlands there are because they said, oh, we're only selling 500 of these. So we know right then and there how many of, you know, how many of those there are, what the supply is, what the, what the, you know, supply, what the demand is. There we go. The word that I'm looking for. So it's great. My, 
putting my rant aside because I, I I do that sometimes. What led you to swap over to Splinterlands from Magic: The Gathering? Because I mean, I assume you, you traveled to all these events. You invested so much into into Magic. I mean, why 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 swap now? Why not just keep going after COVID? Well, uh, I, I like the strategy of the game. Obviously, I, I would not invest and partake in a game if I did not enjoy the strategy. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect. But like you said, you know, it, you have the strategy, but you also have the finance and collectability side. And and for me, the the real light bulb moment is, is how they leverage the blockchain uh, to to create a rental market. You know, I've got you know a hundred k worth of magic the gathering cards sitting in my closet that I, I i wish i had more opportunities to play with but with splinterlands you know if i'm you know taking a week off or i just want to play with a few of the different splinters you know the colors uh, that i have i can rent out these other cards and receive value back without giving up any of my ownership mm. and because it's on the blockchain because it's involved with these smart contracts I can do it in a, a completely uh, uh, secure way, you know, anonymous but fully trusted and, and vetted service. And so for me, it seemed like a win-win situation. And so uh, I don't have to worry about uh, the uptick in, in forgeries coming out from other countries. Yep. I don't have to worry about the condition of my cards. You don't have to worry about grading. You know, when you brought up uh, that idea of, you know, Black Lotus, certainly, you know, I've had my share of them over the years. But, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, what condition the cards are in and looking for surface scratches when, when I have these, you know, legendaries in my Splinterlands account. And so, so for me, it, it, it was great. And, and I really enjoy, you know, the quick pace of the game. You know, every Splinterlands game, you have three minutes yep. to set your lineup. And so there's a ton of strategy. There is so much that needs to go on in those three minutes for you to try and put the best lineup out there. And so for me, it, it, it's really great. I, I really enjoy the strategy. I enjoy the collecting. I enjoy the finance. And, and like you alluded to, you know about the supply. And if there's a, a fixed supply um, and, and demand for the game grows, then then there's really only one way that the price is going to go because, you know, <laughs> that's just the law of supply and demand. And, and really interestingly, you know, these cards that we have in Splinterlands, it's not just like a single unique card. But as you kind of stack or combine the cards together, the, the, the card or the monster or, or, or summoner becomes more powerful. And so as you combine cards, that actually takes single cards off of the market. So you actually have a deflationary environment for these cards, which is, it is really mind blowing. But, you know, I, the first couple of weeks I was just playing, I was, you know, I just thought, oh, you know, I just have, you know, one of all of these cards. And then as I got a little bit more involved and I did more research, I realized, you know, to really be a competitive player at the higher levels of this game, you needed to own multiple cards. You needed to combine these cards so that you could, you know, compete with more of the different abilities that that appear on the cards. Mm-hmm. So, so, so again, that creates a deflationary environment. And then, what? as you level them up, you know, there's more demand for them because they're more powerful. What was the barrier to entry for you when you were doing the initial research, right? Because for me, I can go buy a pack of Magic: The Gathering at a local store, right? That's pretty simple. I can go on to MTG Arena and it's going to get me started pretty easily because it doesn't involve the blockchain. Jacob and I, we've talked about this at various lengths, how the blockchain, it's great. It's a great way to to have proof of ownership. It's awesome. There's so many great things about it, but there's a massive barrier to entry because a lot of people just are uneducated. What did you do to educate yourself enough to get to the point of saying, okay, I'm going to go buy myself some some Chaos Legion packs. Because to this day right now, 
Jacob is like, Ryan, can you go buy packs? And I go, I have no idea how to do that. I'm a little embarrassed, right? Because I'm like, well, I want to educate myself on it further. But I swear to God, I go to the Splinterlands site. It doesn't tell me how to buy Chaos Legion packs. It just tells me there are crystals, dark energy, crystals here, SP, SP. I don't even know. What did you do to educate yourself to get over this hump of being being a loser? Because right now so, I feel like a loser. So Discord was a big help. You okay. know, uh, you know I, I got onto the Splinterlands Discord. You know, I engaged some chat in the general channels. Uh, about two to three weeks into the game, I realized that there are these guilds that, you know, if you join a guild, there's some really nice advantages that you can gain from being part of a guild. And then once I, you know, took the plunge and found the guild, I felt comfortable joining. Shout to the 420 Syndicate. Um, you know, I met some players, you know, who had more experience and they really kind of helped me figure out some of the strategy and how to best use my money to, uh, you know, to create the, the decks I needed. And also, you know, there's been this big push ever since, uh, you know, the, the game really, uh, you know, jumped into the, to the limelight, I would say summer 2021, you saw like a, a big influx of new players that kind of rode all the way throughout the rest of that year um you have a lot of you know youtube personalities that offer some really good valuable insight strategy not just how to play the game but how to invest in the game you know if you just want to focus on one or two specific splinters what are the best cards to pick up so i would say a combination of just talking to my guildmates mm -hmm. and you know watching the content that's available um, you know, both, uh, you know, again, just discussing in Discord with some of these personalities, um, you know, watching the videos on YouTube, strategy articles uh, that I go to on, on Peak D, which is, a, you know, a high fact uh, blockchain site that, that uh, you know, has, you know, plenty of different communities. Mm -hmm. So that's very active uh, Splinterlands community. You know, that's where I really figured out how I wanted to put the money to work for me. And you know, I like a sure thing. Like I said, you know, with that UCLA Florida game, you know what I'm going to put my money in. I want a sure thing. So I would say that to be honest, I don't spend a lot of money uh, buying sealed packs. Um, but I, I focus more again on, on buying singles from the secondary market. And, and when I do buy singles, I'm looking for uh, big stack cards. And so what I mean is, you know, I'm not buying like single copies of a car, but I'm buying, you know, a level eight rare i'm buying you know a level four legend that i can then use at the highest level you know a maxed out card that i could play at the diamond or championship level in the game and so you know for me that was an, you know when i saw the value in the game uh, i wasn't i wasn't just going in with a, a few hundred dollars you know i you know i sold off a few paper cards yeah i liquidated a few nfts that i was holding you know, I had to wait for, you know, a year to pass so that I got the, didn't have to realize any short-term capital gains. Yep. I was able to take some long-term capital gains. And, uh, you know, I invested into the game pretty seriously. And, you know, there's a lot of money to be made even outside of the cards. You know, they have, like you mentioned, there's two different currencies in the game. There's the Dark Energy Crystals, which they award to players uh, when they win. Uh, when they win games, and they're also uh, prizes in uh, daily and season chests. Um, but also, you get the daily these uh, dark energy crystals or DEC. You get those when people rent cards from you. That's the, you know like the in-game currency. There's also a governance token. You alluded to the SPS or the Splinter shards. And so you know, I'm not exactly sure when that came to be. I think maybe it was early 2021. Mm -hmm. But you know, they keep on uh, the the development team, the people who really you know pushing this game forward, find ways to increase the value of the SPS token. You know, they just announced today how they're gonna uh, be offering the ability to to be able to uh, purchase the right to run a, a delegation node. So you know, to be one of the people who you know, processes these blockchain transactions to, to help ensure, the, you know, the validity of the transactions on the blockchain. So, you know, that's going to be a, a great way to monetize the, uh, these, these tokens. And so um, 
you know, there's there's so many great ways to to monetize this game, which is 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 just it's just unbelievable. And then for someone who loves the strategy, who loves the community of belonging to a guild and talking to other players, um, it's been hard to, to you know focus what's going on in the, the paper Magic the Gathering world. Uh, it's definitely sure. been put on the back burner. Absolutely, I I can only imagine. Well. You know, Deuce, we don't have too much time here left. I guess a couple things that I wanted to end off here with. So with with your incredible optimism, uh, optimism with Splinterlands as uh, something that you can look to as m- maybe potentially making some money off of in the future, as well as just a really great game uh, with some really fun strategy and uh, just great people behind it. Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, the reason why I was playing Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, whatever, uh, it's because of the people. You know, I, I really enjoyed the people. And so it sounds like uh, this guild and this community has really, you know, you've embraced it fully and you've really just put yourself into it. Can something like this, Splinterlands more specifically, grow into something where uh, it becomes more of an official esport or has more of an official status uh, like Magic the Gathering, for example? Absolutely. I mean, that's something they are actively working on. And, and uh, give a shout out to uh, Weird Beard. Mm. He is the leader of kind of the e-sports push and, and department that they have over at Splinterlands. Um, he's been extremely open. I've had direct communication with him pretty much day one since I reached out to him. Obviously, you know, Zen Sports has run some really nice, lucrative uh, Splinterlands tournaments with some really engaging, I think, you know, strategy-filled formats that they've, they've chosen. And so I, I do. I, I think that Splinterlands absolutely has the type of strategy, community, and environment to to develop into a, a real esports force to be reckoned with. And uh, I do also want to shout out my current guild. Now I'm actually, you know, I'm in two guilds. I'm, I'm with Shield of Glory these days. They're actually the third rank guild in in the entire uh, Splinterlands. Uh, splinterverse or you know whatever you want to call that environment yeah, so yeah so shout out to shield of glory they're definitely helping me take my game to the next level whether you know it's talking about strategy delegating and sharing cards we have this you know common resource that we can use from some of the, the um, more experienced players you know the game's been around since i think uh towards the middle or end of 2018 so you know there are some cards I just don't have access to uh, besides, uh, you know, the opportunity of maybe getting delegations from my guildmates. And so I think that's another opportunity where you're going to see a Splinterlands be able to grow is having these, you know, scholarship accounts where, you know, big guilds, you know, uh, with, you know, sponsorship money, corporate money can come in, buy up large, you know, chunks of assets of this game and then lend it out, delegate it to uh, these players who really are engaged in the strategy. So you have investors and you have the game players. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not really familiar with a lot of the rest of the esports landscape, but it seems to me that's one of the bigger barriers to entry is just, you know, the money behind uh, the game to, to have the people want to invest, you know, to create the big purses, to have the, the corporate sponsorship, to put the name on a tournament, you know, to, to be able to have the persons that draw in, you know, uh, you know, a live event. I mean, I think it'd be great, you know, when live events start happening, you know, we have these, you know, big conventions, like, sure. You know, I'd love to see, you know, a top 32 event happening live with, you know, computers, servers at, at some, you know, digital game conference, you know, those are some of the, the best memories I have was, you know, just, you know, going to these large grand prix conventions, you know, if you thought, sitting at a you know a local game shop was great you know sitting at a tournament with 5000 you know mm. players where you get to see your best friends not just from your local city but your best friends from you know across the states you know international buddies you have from France and Germany coming through i mean those are really great celebrations of the game and so i i, I am really encouraged and i do feel that a splinterlands will be able to take it to that next step well, thank you so much for those positive words. I, I, after hearing you talk about it, I'm feeling pretty, pretty inspirational on the Splinterland scene moving forward here. 
So I'm excited to see it move forward because I'm going to be honest with you. People can argue that getting into the crypto space is pricey. Like we we we've talked with quite a few Axie guilds about the price of buying a team. You know, it's a it could be a couple thousand dollars, if not more. But, you know, when you really think about it, how much is it to travel to several events during the year and to actually be able to play those, you know, in-person card games? And once you actually think about how much those are and the paper versions of those cards that have to stay in perfect condition, that can't be bent, you got to buy sleeves, you got to buy binders. At the end of the day, it almost feels like, almost feels like the, uh, you know, most popular Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering start to become as expensive, if not more at times, than these crypto versions of different games with different strategy that uh, could potentially have the same yield, if not more. Uh, Because, I mean, like you said, you don't have to worry about your card that you're renting out. Or if I give a card to a buddy, I don't know if it's going to come back wrecked. But if I rent out a card right i'm it's not going to be wrecked it's still going to be the great high level rare card that i spent the time to either build it myself or bought and i'm not going to have to worry about it getting ruined so yeah i think that's one of the great benefits of of just uh the way splinterlands is run the ability to to delegate these cards to to share with your your guild mates you know the teammates and uh you know i'm excited at the end of the month you know, for us Zen Sportsia holders, we have this, you know, 10K Splinterlands tournament. I'm excited to get another crack at the, at, a, at a nice sized purse. Obviously, you know, supporting Zen Sports and Zen Sportsia and, and the attention that they're giving the Splinterlands game. And these are the type of events that we need to to really propel, you know, Splinterlands uh, into that e-sports e- space. And so, yeah, yeah I, I'm really excited about it. Looking forward to it. That's going to be a fun one. One thing I'm wondering is you mentioned that you rent out a lot of your cards. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the relationship that you have between renting out cards and then holding them for the SPS airdrop? It sounds like you think renting them just generates more revenue. Well, so, so I'm glad you asked that. So the SPS airdrop actually looks at the cards that you own. So even if you're renting out the cards, you do get to collect the SPS airdrop, you know, you, you get those SPS airdrop points. Um, really? One of, yeah. So one of the things that, so the biggest roadblock or barrier to renting out your cards is, you know, qualifying for those different league levels. You know, the higher league that you're in, the more rewards you get uh, from your daily quests, as well as your end of season rewards. But, you know, those levels are all dependent on your collection power. And so when you rent out cards, that takes away from your collection power. So, so, the, so the, the barrier there is, you know, if you rent out too many cards, then you won't have the collection power to earn the highest rewards. So that's the negative there. And so, you know, I, I've been actively, you know, reinvesting all of my airdrop points. You know, you need to have a certain amount of the splinter shards, the SPS stake to really play in the best uh, tournaments that are available in the Splinterland system. Once I hit that threshold where I felt comfortable to be able to enter all the events that I, I wanted to, I've been pretty much daily taking those SPS airdrop points. So these are, you know, over the first year of the token, they, they add up all of like points for all these different assets in the game and they give everybody their share based on, you know, the, the amount of tokens that they airdrop on a daily basis. And so I've converted them into credits and taken those credits went back into the market, bought cards that I think are undervalued. And then, you know, obviously I'll use them for my deck if I, if I can, you know, take advantage of some of the higher level legendary cards. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes I'm just turning them straight over to the rental market, renting out cards at, you know, a silver or bronze level, you know, and, and um, that's, you know, for me, I think putting a pretty good ROI in my pocket if I look at, you know, just the investment over a year long basis. And uh, like I said, you know, I think the development team is doing a great job of finding ways to increase the value and demand for the, that SPS token. And so, you know, it's, it's been uh, one of the, uh, the uh, I guess, assets that I've spent most of my time uh, dollar cost averaging into, you know, so between SPS and then a few of my other, uh, you know, crypto investments that's really where i've I've focused all of of my investments recently 
Well, I'm speechless. This has been incredible. Uh, not what I was expecting at all. We went all over the place and in so many different routes, so many different forms. But I really, really, really appreciate you coming on, Deuce. Uh, it was amazing to have you on. I, I hope that we can have you back to talk more because uh, there's just so much to talk about that I feel like, uh, you know, we could only skim the surface on, you know, here, here and there. Did I expect to get into a whole rant today about mom and pop TCG stores charging way too no. much for cart? No, I did not expect that. But here we are. We did it. I appreciate you. Uh, like I said, thank you so much for coming on, Jacob. Uh, one more time, thank you for coming on as well. And a big shout out to EMP.Money. Thank you for being our sponsor for our podcast, for eSport e tournaments, and more. Uh, folks, thank you so much for watching this video today. If you enjoy this video, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you're listening along on Spotify, Apple Apple Podcasts, and uh, any of the other streaming sites that we're using, please uh, give us a follow there as well. Thank you so much for watching this video. Until next time, we're out.